0: Confession is powerful because it confronts us. Two, confession is powerful because it humbles us. Three, verses 9 and 10, confession is powerful because it makes us honest. Four, verses 11 and 12, confession is powerful because without it, we will be isolated. Five, confession is powerful because it teaches us about ourselves. Verses 13 and 14. Six, confession is powerful because it deepens us... Seven, confession is powerful because it helps us take responsibility. And eight, confession is powerful because it reminds us of our hope. Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Presbyterian Church in Owasso, Oklahoma. Our passion is to show that grace changes everything in Jesus Christ by equipping you to rest in worship, grow in community, and rediscover your calling. To join our body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at trinityowasso.com. If you have a Bible, would you please grab it and open with me to Psalm 38. In the summers at Trinity, we're going through the Psalms. We've been doing this for five years until we cover all 150 songs. The songs are the songbook of the church. Some churches in church history only sing the psalms. Did you know that? They don't sing contemporary worship music. They only sing the psalms. Some churches uh, chant the psalms, and our Eastern Orthodox uh, brothers and sisters will chant the psalms, often throughout the liturgy of their church. And so, today we come to another psalm of David, Psalm 38. So, Sorry, now that you're seated. Would you stand with me, and let's read together Psalm 38. This is the Word of God. Men and women have died to put this into our hands. Both Gutenberg through the printing press, Wycliffe and Huss died to translate it into English, and so we read it in our homes, and we have it accessible to you as a gift of love. You don't have to just come to the church and let the pastor read the Bible to you. You have a copy of it. So let me encourage you to read it in the shadows of these men and women who died to give you access to it. Psalm 38. A psalm of David for the memorial offering. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline, discipline me in your wrath, for your arrows have sunk into me and your hand has come down on me. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head, and like a heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. I am utterly bowed down and prostrate. All the day I go about mourning, for my sides are filled with burning and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and crushed. I groan because of the tumult of my heart. O Lord, all my longing is before you. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart throbs, my strength fails me, and the light of my eyes, it also has gone from me. My friends and companions stand aloof from my plague, and my nearest kin stand far off. Those who seek my life lay their snares. Those who seek my hurt speak of ruin and meditate on treachery all day long. But I am like a deaf man. I do not hear, like a mute man who does not open his mouth. I have become like a man who does not hear and in whose mouth are no rebukes. But for you, O Lord, do I wait. It is you, O Lord, my God, who will answer. For I said, only let them not rejoice over me, who boast against me when my foot slips. For I am ready to fall and my pain is ever before me. I confess my iniquity. I am sorry for my sin. But my foes are vigorous, they are mighty, and many are those who hate me wrongfully, those who render me evil for good, accuse me because I follow after good. Do not forsake me, O Lord. O my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Father, would you open our hearts and would you use words on this page and would you breathe by the power of your Holy Spirit so you might help us to be shaped and changed powerful by your word in your presence. In, in Jackson County, Georgia, Amen. on June 19th, 1956, a businessman named Charles Drake was murdered in his home. It was known that this businessman often carried um, cash on his person and an intruder broke into his home and killed him. And James uh, Foster, who was a house painter, was accused of the crime. Mrs. Drake identified him and testified that it was indeed him. Three witnesses in the trial had confessed and shared that James Drake was nowhere to be found, not even near the scene of where he was doing a job next door on the day of the murder. But Mrs. Drake's testimony and her identification of James Foster put him in prison, put him in prison for life, and he was sentenced to be executed by the electric chair. The problem was James Foster didn't kill Mr. Drake. And years passed, and James Foster knew of his innocence and the date of his execution approached. And on this weekend, July 4th, Some days before his execution, Rocky Rothschild bragged and confessed to a friend that he was the one who actually committed the murder. And so years after prison, James Foster was released, and he was set free. Confession is powerful. It freed an innocent man from prison. Jameson is the father to a seven-year-old named Julie, and one summer day, probably much like your homes and mine, the days are pretty unstructured. And Janet, his wife, snuck off to make a grocery run at Costco, and Jameson was left with his daughter, Julie, for several hours. And in preparation for a conference call, he said, why don't you paint with pastels in the dining room? And he told her how to get things set up and, and she tried the best she could and he went to take the conference call. And the next thing little Julie hears as she's drawing her elephant is, Julie, I told you to cover the chair! And to Jameson's um, frustration, um at his seven-year-old daughter who's just painting an elephant, she had decided to smear gray pastel all over their nice dining room chairs. And so Jameson, probably less frustrated with the chair and more in fear of his wife, what would she would say when she got home, started to clean the chair. And, and here's his seven-year-old daughter crying next to daddy who was on a conference call and she was just trying to draw her elephant. And he wondered, what should I do? And he burned with conviction as he began to try to clean this chair off before Janet got home. And he stopped what he was doing, and he pulled his daughter into his lap, and he said to her, Honey, I am so sorry. I should not have yelled at you. I love you. Will you forgive me? I confess that I was wrong. And even little seven-year-old Julie knew what was going on, and she responded with tears, and she hugged her daddy's neck, and she pulled him close. Confession is powerful. It can heal an innocent man from prison. It can free an innocent man from prison. And it can heal a relationship between a daddy and a daughter. Do you know that psychologically, do you know what confession actually provides people? It it heals a relationship, like, like a broken bone, heals over time. Confession provides the cast for that relationship to heal. Do you know biologically confession, like we're not even getting into the Bible quite yet, but biologically, do you know what confession does? Studies have shown for early childhood development that parents who confess their wrong to their children, they literally help their children's brains grow more neurons as they respond to parents who admit that they're wrong. And they grew up in a house where they know that it is not the the sin that is the big deal. It is actually more important in your response to that sin. That's what counts as you learn to be able to grow in a house where it's free to mess up and it's free to confess together and you're able to reconcile. In Psalm 38, it's like the Lord draws us near and pulls us close to himself and says, I'm going to show you through David the power of confession. And David shows us eight things in this psalm that we're going to look at together. Eight things that confession does. And so, let's try to find them together. Let's dive in. If you're a note taker, you can use the notes in your bulletin if you want to. Eight things. Psalm 38 is the third of seven penitential psalms, that is, psalms of confession. But what's interesting about Psalm 38 is that everywhere else in the the psalms and even the whole of Scripture, you see discussion about how someone confessed, past tense, or how someone will confess, future tense. But here is the only place in the Psalter, in the psalms, where we see David confessing on the spot present tense. I confess. I am sorry. What does confession show us? Confession is powerful. Number one, it confronts us. Look at verse one. Here David doesn't ask to be delivered from God's wrath, but he asks to be shown mercy. He knows he deserves God's wrath, which is the first step in confession, admission that you deserve only God's just wrath. That your sin justifies God protecting His holiness from stain and it requires His consuming anger towards sin. And here David uses the word Adonai rather than Yahweh. Not the formal name of God, but he uses my master, O Lord, O master. Rebuke me not in your anger. Look at verse 2. He feels it for your arrows. Your arrows, whether that is David's way of describing lightning coming down in the ancient world, or it's just a metaphor for the Lord piercing his heart. He, he says that your arrows of conviction have sunk into me. Your hand has come down upon me. It is heavy upon me. You know, there's a passage we quote sometimes in Psalm 32 that says, when I, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long, and my strength was dried up as though by the heat of summer and your hand was heavy upon me until I confessed my sin to you, and you forgave the guilt of my sin, Psalm 32. And here he uses that same imagery of God's hand pressing down upon him, weighing him down with conviction. Confession is powerful because it confronts us. Thomas Watson defines uh, repentance in this way. He says repentance is the grace of God's Spirit, whereby a sinner is inwardly humbled and visibly reformed. And confession is the first part of repentance. Sanctification is the second. Confession is admitting that you deserve the wrath of God, and repentance means that you then walk out of that confession in holiness and obedience to what God has called us. If you skip confession in your repentance, it produces a kind of counterfeit Christianity for you. It becomes a toxin to your soul because what it does, if you are able to confess that you deserve the wrath of God and that it subtly begins to breed a self-righteousness in you when you begin to skip confession and you begin to get a change, but you don't ever really deal with the root And it's not just the sin that you committed, but it's the systems of sin and the idols of sin beneath the sin that actually has the grip on your heart. And so as confession works powerfully in our life and we're confronted by the Lord's conviction, would you, oh, fellow brothers and sisters, help me? And would you allow me to help you to grow in our skill of confession? Confession confronts us. And that is an act of grace. Second thing that confession does is confession humbles us, verses 3 to 8. Confession is powerful because it humbles us. Notice, there's no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There's no health in my bones because of my sin. My iniquities have gone over my head. He's not just confessing a sin. He's recognizing that there are so many things in his life that he's weighed down by. He is not adequate to walk in light of what God has called him to do. So he confesses all of these things. Confession should humble you. Who should be the most humble people in the world? It should be Christians who recognize the depth of sin in their own hearts and are confessing it to the Lord. Who, Christians should be the most humble to run to the aid of those in the world. Why? Because they know they've been redeemed from so much. Christians ought not to be the people who show up on Sunday and then go head to lubies afterward for lunch because they've got to check the box and they've got to do what it is that culture accepts that they do. No, Christianity is about being fierce, about confession before your Father in heaven. Verses 9 to 10 show us that confession is powerful. Confession doesn't just confront us, verse 1 and 2. Doesn't just humble us, verses 3 to 8. But verses 9 and 10 show us that confession makes us honest. O Lord, my longing is before Thee. David gives his hopes and his hurts and his hang-ups, and he gives all of his life, he sighs before the Lord. Notice, Lord, my sign is not hidden from you. Even God knows your sign. He knows what you sigh about. Just think about that for a minute. Your, Your spouse, if you're married, may not even know what you sigh about. Your roommate may not know what you sigh about. But your Heavenly Father knows what you even sigh about. And He wants you to be honest to say it to Him. One author said it like this, We matter to God inexplicably, undeservedly. Even we dedicated Christians tend to forget this truth or we doubt it altogether or reject it. When we enter into trouble, It is easy to excuse. It's difficult to understand why we matter, but we do. God is watching. He is listening to us. He is speaking promises into the cacophony of our worries and the certainty of their fulfillment into our most deeply buried hopes. If you've been to our new members class, which we hope to have another one in a couple of months, if you're interested, we will explain the order of worship in that new members class. And when we get to confession, we say something like this. The prayer of confession invites us to speak words that are remarkably honest about our own sin, words that do not come naturally in our relationship with God or to our fellow human beings. And such honesty, perhaps more than we could ever generate in our own strength or with our own words, becomes remarkably liberating when we see the immensity of God's grace in the face of our sin. And in this way, we can think of the prayer of confession and of the assurance of pardon that follows not as an onerous obligation, but as a gift of grace to practice together. Confession is powerful, it confronts us, it humbles us, it makes us honest. Verses 11 and 12 show us that confession is powerful because without it, we will be isolated. David tells the Lord what he, what he already knows because God is omniscient. But David finds strength in sharing it. My friends and my companions stand aloof. They, spend, they, they, they are far from my plague. This, this is a physical sickness for David. This, somehow he's plagued physically by some illness or sickness and his friends are like, woo. Stinks to be you, bro. And David is using that as an illustration of how he is isolated. How do I find safe haven? I confess. I move back to the Lord. I move back toward relationship through confession. And some of us, we have relationships in our life that, like, we, like, there's, like, roadblocks. And you've played small talk, and you've tried to reconcile with these people, but have you confessed your wrong to them straight up? Said to them, like Jameson said to his daughter, Julie, I am sorry. Confession is powerful in that it can mend relationships, both with our neighbors and with the Lord. For without it, we are isolated. The word in Hebrew for plague here refers to a kind of, of leprosy. David was untouchable by people. They didn't want to be around him. And he takes this experience and he cries out to the Lord, Lord, my nearest kin stand far off. And for those of you in this um, church who have extended family members who are, you feel cut off from, there's a unique pain there, isn't there, that is hard to describe and it's hard to explain to people who don't have that experience. And I just want to commend to you what King David says here, and I want to commend to you even what Jesus felt himself as he felt cut off, even from his disciples who abandoned him as he went to the cross. That the road to reconciliation is confession. Even if that confession is not met with an acceptance of that confession or of the extension of forgiveness, but it is confession. I'm sorry. I was wrong. Verses 12 and 13 show us the striking contrast between the wagging tongues of friends who watch a man in his time of need and the, and the silence and stillness of David before the Lord in confession. And when we confess, we too ought to be willing to be deaf, <laughs> to be quiet in the Lord's presence and to listen to him as we confess, to stop explaining to God what we need to do next, but to sit in silence and stillness and listen to do a hearing test before the Lord and say, Lord, do I really hear you? Am I deaf? Am I open to what you want to say to me? One of the um, the skills that uh, the New York Times uh, columnist David Brooks says that that Americans have lost is the skill of loud listening. Do you know this concept of loud listening? Like when you're with somebody, you know, when you listen to them, most of the time we kind of load what we're going to say before they finish their sentences, but he says loud listening is when you actually bring them out. You listen to them. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Tell me more. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You loud listen. You, 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 you let them finish. You let them tell the story. And in confession, there's kind of a loud confession. Uh-huh. Yeah, Lord, and this happened. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm listening. Yes, I hear you. I know. I know. I know. I know. I know I should go to them. I know I should tell them but I don't want to. I'm scared. And listen to your heavenly father say, it's okay to be scared, but you know what? You're secure because my son died for you. It's okay to be scared. You know why? Because you're a beloved child and I will always accept you and I will sing over you with my love and you don't need to fear rejection. It's okay to be scared because that relationship may not be healed, but you can with a clean conscience Be my hands and feet to them and own up to your own responsibility in the marring of that relationship. Verses 12 and 13 show us this radical contrast. and It reminds us even of Jesus who meditated on the treachery even of his disciples when he went to the cross and meditated even on my treachery and yours as you rejected him. So If you're taking notes, first, confession is powerful because it confronts us. Secondly, it's powerful because it humbles us. Third, it's powerful because it makes us honest. Fourth, it's powerful because without it, we will be isolated people. Verses 13 and 14 teach us that confession is powerful because it teaches us about ourselves. St. Augustine wrote, Let us entrust ourselves to the doctor's hand, for he makes no mistakes, and he never lances sound flesh of morbid tissue. He knows what he's examining. He knows our vices because he made our nature. He is well able to distinguish between what he himself created and what our evil desires have introduced. He knows that, that to healthy people he gave a command so that they might not fall sick, and he knows that he said to them in paradise, Eat this. But we chose not to eat. But those healthy people did not listen to the command from the doctor that would have saved them from following. So let them at least hear it now while they are ill and still able to be cured. And so let us rise up again and let us begin to be honest about ourselves and know ourselves. The greatest witness of this church in this city is that we are fiercely self aware. We're aware of how. Uh, our self-righteousnesses plague our relationships. We're aware of how our self-righteousnesses stand between us and God. We're aware. We know ourselves, And in knowing ourselves, we just magnify the beauty and the finished work of Jesus all the more. And so community groups became a place of welcome for us because we're not walking into a community group thinking, I've been to this conference and I've studied this passage and I know this book of the Bible. We walk in saying, I know that I'm a sinner saved by grace. And the grace of Jesus is what we make much of together. That's how marriages are healed. That's how relationships are restored. That's how the watching world is invited into the beauty of the gospel because the church is able to repent of its mistakes and of its sin. We hold accountable leaders in the church for abuse, and rightly we should. And we want to protect the people in the church and say, the only perfect person in this church is Jesus, but God loves you too much. Though he accepts you as you are, he loves you too much to let you stay that way. And confession and the skill of confession becomes the first steps for us to grow in that. Confession is powerful. It teaches us about ourselves. Six, confession is powerful because it deepens us. Notice verse 15 and 16. But for you, O Lord, do I wait. It is to you, O Lord. Notice, O Lord, when it's capitalized like that. Big L, little capital O-R-D in your Bibles means the word is Adonai. It's Master. And so here David is saying, O Lord, in you, O Master. He's submitting himself. In you do I wait. My security is in you. It is not in my performance at work. It is not in my performance as a husband or as a dad. My perf- my value is in you. and What you ex- what you See in me. David is outstanding in his ability to wait for God. His years on the run from Saul, his years on the run from from his son Absalom. David knows what it's like to wait, and he says waiting, as we'll talk about next week in Psalm 40, waiting is a lost art of Christianity, being patient and waiting. Confession is powerful because it deepens us. As we wait for the Lord and as we, we find that in confession, the Lord kind of chips away. It's like a balloon, right? You have a, little, you have a balloon that's got a little bit of joy in it. And children, as you, as you blow a balloon, what happens? More and more air gets in it, and the circumference of the balloon gets bigger. That's what confession does for your joy. It's like you're, you're blowing the air of confession into the balloon to expand your joy, to delight in how much God has provided for you. It deepens you. It makes you fuller people. Seven, confession is powerful, verses 17 through 20, because it helps us take responsibility. For I am ready to fall. David confesses he's ready to suffer whatever consequence. My pain is ever before me. I confess. I confess my iniquity. I am sorry. For my sin When Thomas Watson was writing um, what is probably one of the, one of the most profound books on repentance that has been written in the last 400 years, it's, it's called "True Repentance." When he was writing this book in the 16th century, he said, "Confession has uh, five characteristics. David shows us what these are here. He says, "Confession must be voluntary, can't be coerced, or it's not true confession. It must be accompanied with remorse." Must be sorry, truly sorry, not just for the consequences, but for the sin itself. Confession must be sincere. Confession must be particular. And confession must be marked by resolve to move from it and to walk in repentance. And when you come to this, this passage, when it says, I, I confess my iniquity, I'm sorry for my sin, like, I confess, I wish he would have said exactly what he did, but he doesn't. But You should. Okay, I know this is a long list. I know that eight-point sermon is not what you expected today, but here you go. I'm going to say them again so you can write it down. Number one, confession is powerful because it confronts us. Two, confession is powerful because it humbles us. Three, verses 9 and 10, confession is powerful because it makes us honest. Four, verses 11 and 12, confession is powerful because without it, we will be isolated. Five, confession is powerful because it teaches us about ourself verses 13 and 14. Six, confession is powerful because it deepens us. Seven, confession is powerful because it helps us take responsibility. And eight, confession is powerful because it reminds us of our hope to the punch. what he says in verses 21 and 22. Do not forsake me. And we o stand Lord. and confess those things. Oh my God, be and not and far himself. from me. Make haste to help me. Oh Lord, my salvation. Notice that he uses every word he can think of for God here. Adonai, Yahweh, Elohim. He just goes for it. Lord, you are Adonai. You are Yahweh. You are the great holy God. You are my God. You are Elohim. Or would you make haste to help me, would you come, would you open my heart to the beauty of confession? And as we as a church learn what it means to confess, I hope we will experience something of what Jameson was able to experience when he confessed to his own daughter. I hope we get to experience something of what James Foster experienced when he experienced liberty, even though it wasn't his own confession. The liberty of being freed, in his case, from prison, but ours. Freed from the imprisonment of broken relationships and even broken fellowship with our Savior in heaven. Sandra McCracken has a song called, You Are the Word, and it could have been based on Psalm 38, and these are the words. Pressure is building like stones on my chest. You said you'd fling them as far as the east is from the west, tangled up in the garden and hidden in shame. You said you'd be with me in all of this pain. In triumph for ashes through all the extremes, you said you could gather me under your wings. I've come to know heartache, maybe less than I should. But you said you'd make all of this work for my good. Kingdoms will crumble. The kingdoms will fall. You said, trust the one who's holding it all. Your lamp is a lantern, a fire in the spring. You gave me your life, showed your mercy to me. Broken and buried, raised, I will give you praise. You gave me your word. You gave me your word. In my confession, you are the word. Confession is powerful, Trinity. It confronts us, humbles us, makes us honest. Without it, we will be isolated. It teaches us about ourselves. It deepens us. It helps us to take responsibility. And it reminds us of our hope. And our hope is that we are secure in Jesus' finished work. He loves you with an endless, never-ending, always-and-forever love. You can't lose it. So you're free to confess. Confess. Jesus knows you. Isn't that what you want, to be fully known? And the gospel is the good news that you can be, that you are if you're in him. That He knows you down to the dregs. He knows even the content of your size. He knows you that much. And isn't that beautiful? So be free to confess and grow in your skill of confession. And by it, may you find your joy deepen because of Jesus' finished work for you. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Trinity, please visit our website at trinityowasso.com.